Uh... It's started. The, the podcast has started. Welcome to another episode of Board Game <laughs> Thing. I, the beat you just heard there was Eloise come up with a phrase: "My heat source is my neck." <laughs> yeah. Because we're sat, we seem to have team outfits on in this week's episode. We're all wearing black, like yeah. you know, we're a band all chat beforehand about what they're going to wear. Mm. Brian and I in black jeans and black shirts. We look like we're about to do a shift of stagehands at the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do look like we kind of like suede shoes on, n- nipping out and moving scenery around. Do they wear we're, suede shoes? Normally, a slight oh. suede shoe thing. Uh, Eloise, you've got like um, what did you just accuse Eloise of thinking that? She is Brian. She thinks she's Stevie Nicks. You think she's Stevie Nicks? I'm happy scarf. with that comparison, but yeah, no, I'm wearing one. I felt a bit chilly, and my heat source is my neck. What does that even mean? Well, if my neck is cold, I am cold. But if my neck's covered, I'm not. Like, it, I, every other part of my body is cold. <laughs> if my neck is cold, so hang on. But just, as soon as my neck's covered, I'm warm. Let me posit a theory. You go to the Antarctic. You're on the Ernest Shackleton uh-huh. uh, expedition. Expedition. You don't need a jacket. Nope. Snowshoes, anything. Nothing. Just need a scarf, scarf. around your neck. Yeah. Exactly. So you might be walking around like minus 25, but uh, in trainers and that. Warm, if your neck's warm. I am warm. That is un- that's an unbelievable thing. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Board Game Thing, the weekly podcast. Uh, a much about the table talk when you're sitting around playing a board game as it is about the games themselves, powered by the amazing people at Zatu. Of course, you just heard uh, Eloise and Brian were joined there right now. We're all three of us together uh, here for another episode. A lot of people have been getting in touch asking about a cliffhanger that we kind of left. We're doing quite a good cliffhangers at the moment mm-hmm. from podcast to podcast. Uh, the, the, the big story of last week's podcast was uh, Eloise's Bitcoin disaster. A lot mm-hmm. of people talking about it on our Instagram Live on Tuesday night. Where are we at with that before we get into this episode? Well, it's good news today. Mm-hmm. So I bought an extra £100 worth oh, of Ethereum, get, oh but God. I bought it in the dip, and that's the thing. I've been Googling. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm following strangers. But that £100 appears to be doing quite well for me because I bought it at low, and now it's gone quite high. So I'm now only out 80 quid. You're like a cyber Gordon Gecko. Is that what happens though when you're in the hole with these things? You try and make your money back? Yeah. And then you, you spend more to try and get it back. What was the Spurs-related thing you were tw- texting in our group, Brian, which is, is a good uh, mantra for Eloise here? Order est facere. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Which is, is this Latin? Yeah. Spurs is Latin which is, which motto. Which is a Spurs motto for... Um, don't really spend any money in the off season. <laughs> so that's what, you know, it, it, technically it should mean to do is to dare. So yeah, to do is to do dare. Do is to dare. Yeah. Do it, dare it. We'll get you that on a blazer or something like that. I'd like that to be your um, motto or yeah. emblem during the show. I reckon I could get that as a tattoo. That's but quite a good one. They watch this space. To well, look, do is to this, this episode is about world building in board games and role playing games, which is a bit unusual. So, Let's just explain this. I kind of—I don't know about you guys. I think we all are the same in this. One of the reasons why we like uh, board games and that is the stories that they tell. I love—I love a backstory, and I think a vivid, believable, fictional world not only underpins the game that you're playing, but makes it more fun to do that. So we're going to talk about fictional worlds that are created around games, uh, what we like and what we don't like. Uh, and then on later on in this episode, we're going to be chatting to the brilliant Matthew Dawkins, who is the man behind the Vampire the Masquerade role-playing game, which is huge. Mm. I mean, the world of vampires is a huge thing. People love that in terms of fiction. So he's a huge mover and shaker in the, I'm going to call him vampire circles. <laughs> he's involved in that kind of thing. And he also created uh, a game that Brian and I have played uh, called They Came From Beneath the Sea. Yes, we played it. Uh, how long ago? About a month ago. Brilliant. It's about uh, you create your own B movie with your friends. Like it's kind of like a role playing game, but uh, there's this like wobbly sets and bad special effects. Not like, like a 1950s movie. You could just pretty much play your own fire in that game. 
Yeah, it is. You can do whatever you want with it and take it in different directions. Again, creating stories, building worlds, which is what this episode is all about. And if you've got any suggestions for any games that you think have got a fantastic universe that you like dipping into, make sure you get in touch on the socials. You can uh, drop us a message at Board Game Thing. Well, let's start with a question then, you two. What is your favourite fictional world uh, in like a game or a book or a movie or anything? Brian, what do you reckon? So... Um, I tried to get you into this world. Do you know what I'm going to talk about here? No. If you are a science fiction fan, and this is why, if there are any people out there that make games or are going to do Kickstarters, please, 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 do a game based on Ian M. Banks's culture world. Culture so world. So cult- he has a series of novels called The Culture, right? Look at Eloise's face glazing over right I did, over. actually. You- I did, yeah. This is what my wife does. She she claims that when we met, I hid the science, the fact I love, I love science fiction from her. Yeah. She said you never mentioned that you love science fiction until we're at least six months. So no yet. full disclosure about yeah. it or anything at all. She once leaned over at me as I was reading a book uh, on a Kindle because the Kindle obviously doesn't have the, the title, and she saw the phrase "tall pointed hats and gemstones" and, was like, <laughs> and from then on has, has ridiculed me. For my choice, my life choices. It's a really good point, though, right? Because I, I think, say, if I was to meet uh, my other half, Katie, now, and and I was, she was to come back. Say, our house was my house, yep. and I've got all my board games on the wall. Do you think that would like freak someone out a little bit, or they think, oh, yeah. that's cool? Then no, you think that would not, be a... not not from day one. You need to you need to sort of, as we say in the radio industry, segue into it. Right, segue okay. Into it. So maybe maybe have them all in the loft and bring the games down in in increments. One or at something. a time. So so so, Alison, not convinced by your because uh, it's not just sci-fi you're into. You're not into just normal sci-fi like it's, Star Wars. I would Wars. say it's hard sci-fi. I think I saw hard sci-fi at Reading '93. Bush's board game thing. Eloise, what, what, is there a fictional world that you, you love that you're kind of into? Um, yeah, do you know the Philip Pullman trilogy, His Dark Materials? Oh, yes, I think I read a couple of those. Good books, and I just made it into a programme on, on t- telly as well. Yeah, uh, which is really good, but also, and the film got cancelled because it's quite, um, it's, it's a lot to do with religion, and the film was really amazing, um, and, and then they cancelled it in America because no one went and bought uh, tickets to the really? box office because it was so religious. It's, it's kind of like um, about proving... Whether God exists, sort of. That's well, loosely what it's about. Let's just get into it now, guys. Let's yeah, do yeah, yeah. it. No, 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 But like the no. two main characters, Will and Lyra, they're Adam and Eve, basically. And Are they? Yeah. So well, I read like two of them, and just literally so thick, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Um, Is this the one where they've little spirit creatures? Yeah, demons. Demons. Yeah. What would your demon be? Oh, uh, and it can't be a cat. You've actually got a real cat. I know. It's a good question. I think mine would be uh, a meerkat because I'm quite nosy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm uh, I appear when no one expects it. <laughs> yeah, actually, weirdly, I, I turned up here for our recording today and I didn't know you were just in the next room. Yeah, like, and, yeah head pop up. Me and Cats always struck me as they're bricking it all the time, like having a panic attack 24 hours. That's like, true. Oh, geez, geez, I'd God. say oh, that's oh, quite oh. like me as well. That's a good point. For me, I'm going to say my ideal uh, fictional world that I love, it's a bit general, but I love apocalypse stuff. You know, mm. post-apocalypse? Yeah. I love all the... What about pre-apocalypse? What's wrong with pre-apocalypse? What, like now? Yeah, now. <laughs> it's not as much fun, is it? Well, there, there used to be a Games Workshop game back in the day, and if any of our listeners remember this, called Dark Future, which was about uh, kind of punks on the highway. You know, a bit like Mad Max. Mm-hmm. You know, like leather, everyone wearing leather outfits with uh, spikes on your shoulder pads and all that kind of thing. And then Ian Livingstone, who we talked about before in his brilliant fighting fantasy books, uh, he did one kind of based on that called Freeway Fighter, where you're like driving around on the highway and... Uh, you know, uh, having these, trying to avoid getting like 
your car nicked off you and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's essentially channeling the whole Mad Max movie and everything as well. There's a great new board game actually that has just come out. You can get it on Zatu's website. It's a storytelling game called Waste Nights, made by a French, a French company. It makes you sound like you're like um, a sewage expert or something like that. <laughs> but it's actually you're living in the wasteland and you go around and kind of have these adventures. It's all text-based and you kind of create this uh, amazing story. But the arts and the, the visuals and the cards of it are absolutely gorgeous. Let me, let me go through some uh, board games which have got fantastic worlds uh, that have been created and are around these games. Uh, obviously, Tolkien's Middle Earth is oh, yes. huge, absolutely huge, and there's a load of great games about the whole Lord of the Rings thing. Is there? I want but to play them. Journeys in Middle Earth is fantastic. You, it's you plus your friends uh, in this kind of amazing variable adventure with kind of the tiles are placed down as the map and it changes every time because you use an app. So the app controls the game, which is really good. We should play that as a collectible living card game called Lord of the Rings. Uh, Again, made by Fancy Flight Games, which loads of people play. And again, they uh, release these different installments with expansions and all that kind of thing. Very quickly, obviously the the reason why Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's Middle Earth is so popular is that people love the pastoral ideal, the ideal of living in the countryside and being self-sufficient. I think the more modern and dirty everything gets, the more you do idealise rural life. That's why Brian's moved to Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, in in Middle Earth, what would you be if you were in Middle Earth? You're elf. In, you, you reckon you'd be an elf? Elf, absolutely. Like peaceful elf, because there's wood elf, there's dark elf. I'd there's... be a part of Gladriel's gang. Oh right. Yeah. So they're the wood elves. They're just hanging out in the woods, just avoid. I feel like they're like they've receded from. Yes, uh, they don't really like enough. to have anything to do, but they've got a lot of influence and power, and one of the rings. That's a good point. So they've got yeah. a ring. Happy about it, just living in the woods. Brian, yeah. what would you be in Middle Earth? I don't know. Can you just be a human? Yeah, it's a bit disappointing though, isn't it? But do you know what? I'd be well upset. Imagine if you're a human, right? And then uh, you meet an elf and then you're like, when are you going to die? I'm, I'm, I'm going to live till like eight. Yeah, well, that's what I'm... happened with Aragorn. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sensing Eloise knows more than I gave her credit for about the Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a secret Lord of the Rings geek. Okay, I put a line in the sand right here. There's a few games episodes that we need to do here. Uh, finance, which we will get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to play Twilight Imperium, so Brian can absolutely geek right out on uh, hard sci-fi. And we need to do a Lord of the Rings game. Yeah. Consider that done. Done. Right, let's do our board game fact of the week with Brian. Here we go. Brian's board game fact of the week. You do that every week, right? You do this joke every week. We know you've got stuff because it's you're contractually obliged. It's the comedy horse you make, the same joke every week. It's going to be. It started off not that funny, but funny-ish. Then it gets unfunny. Then it just gets terribly unfunny, and then it goes down the comedy horseshoe. <laughs> picks up momentum, comes back up again. In about three weeks, we'll all be laughing at this joke. The people at Zatu say one more time and then they're going to start docking your pay. What? I'm not... Will you yeah. pay for this? Well, no, I, I hold on to it for you and then I, I'll... Invest it in... Yeah, yeah, invest it for you. Uh, papyrus. In papyrus. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You'll get a postal yeah. letter telling you what it is now. Handwritten how much you've got. <laughs> anyway. So, um, this whole episode is about world building, right? So I'm going to give you a fact about one of the probably the most famous world built places world built is that a thing i like that no. yeah yeah famous world that's been built so um detailed millions of people across the globe love it wedding um, rings it's the scooby-doo franchise oh. of what scooby-doo i've gone deep into the world building aspects of scooby-doo okay. so is that is scooby-doo based on its current world it's not like a different planet, oh there's there's the loads of, there's well there's canon and there's the, the, what they call the different timelines of Scooby-Doo with uh, obviously Scrappy-Doo affects that. Of course I'm not going to talk about Scooby-Doo. Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> no, no. Oh, me too. Talk about, what do you think is probably the world's most popular world? Simpsons. No. Okay. I'm going to say Middle Earth. Exactly, Middle Earth. I'm gonna... <laughs> Simpsons. <laughs> the world's most popular alternative universe. <laughs> the Simpsons. <laughs> 
So I've got, I've got like a, I've got a, 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 a troubled past with Lord of the Rings. Okay. I never really read it as a kid. Um, you not read The Hobbit? Never read The Hobbit. I never. So my first um, uh, uh, encounter with Lord of the Rings was uh, the film when it came out, and I thought this is going to be brilliant. I'm going to watch this, and because uh, remember they came out at Christmas. Yeah. Maybe not consecutive years. Was it consecutive? Years? I think they did. Yeah. 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 Christmas at consecutive years, or certainly. You know, every other year. Mm-hmm. And I went to see the first one. I thought it was really boring and long. Oh, nice. Jeez. So it was really boring and long. And I thought yeah. it was rubbish. Oh, God. Then the second, the second one, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll see the second one. Maybe the first one, maybe I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't get it. I'll go and see the second one. Went to see the second one. I hated it even worse, <laughs> right? Really? I, do, I loved them so Me much, too. those films. I think it's the whistles, the tin whistles. And then there's... Whistles. I love Tim Whistles in, in... It's like a bit of clan ad. <laughs> exactly. I love a bit of clan. It reminds me of the... Do you remember the original uh, Robin of Sherwood? That, uh, Robin, the hood of the, well, Yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, Sean Connery's son was in it. Um, anyway. and, then, and, then, and then because I'd wasted, what, up to that point, six, seven hours of my time, I thought I can't not go and see the last one, even though I don't want to go and see it. You're in so too deep. I probably went in with a bad attitude. And that one was the worst of all. It, I mean, that, that film ended three times. The, the end bit where they're waving each other off on the boats yeah. is one of the worst movie sequences of all time. I exactly. Think. I, I did. Exactly. It was an annoying end bit. I but have to as I've gotten older and I've appreciated good literature. Yeah. Um, and hard sci-fi. And hard sci-fi. I really appreciate the efforts that J.R.R., not J.R. There was, a film re- <laughs> there was a film recently um, uh, where Nicholas Holt played him. Yes, uh, it's just called Tolkien. It's just called Is Tolkien. It, it yeah. was good, actually. And you know how nowadays, if you if if you're a guest on a on a radio show or a TV show, you can't just come on and do an interview. You've got to do, uh, oh, come on and do carpool karaoke. Come on and play a game where we put custard, yeah. custard pies in your face, spray drink on each other's face. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. And uh, they they said to the radio station we work at, "Do you want to have them on?" But and tell us about what games you want to play with them. And I came up with a brilliant game. It was going to be called. What you're talking about, Nicholas? Oh my God. What you're talking about, Nicholas Tolkien and Nicholas Holt? What yeah. you're talking about, Nicholas? So there's a different strokes gag at the bottom there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot, uh, of, lot of levels at work there. And he was going to, I think, read out uh, loads of stuff in different languages. You've got to guess what it was. And funnily enough, funnily enough, they never got back to me. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there. It's weird, though, isn't it? Anyway. Yeah. To J.R.R. Tolkien, he created probably, would you say, the best world ever? I mean, best it's just, world. It's so rich. I'm going, uh, to use a, I'm going to use a phrase that you might hear on Radio 4 Front Row now. He weaves a, a rich tapestry. He yeah. really does. I've got an incredibly, well, maybe boring to some people, I've got a book, a map book of all the Lord of the Rings, um, all the journeys in it. Yeah. But I've done like old-fashioned cartography so you can see what... Where the mountains oh, I love are. A good map. I love the map. Love the map at the start map. of the of the Hobbit and yes. and the Lord of the Rings maps are for me the, the artwork in the Hobbit and stuff as well, which I think he drew a lot of it. It's some of some of the greatest stuff I've and ever seen. I love that's it. That's the thing when you build a world. It's great when uh, I love I love it on books when you can they talk about somewhere and then you go you flip back to the front and go where they're going. Oh yeah, I'm going to look at it on the map. Oh now I've got a visual picture of it. Exactly. It's like it's, they, they're taking the A127 through the Misty Mountains. Oh. Cut through the mines of Moria. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um. And this is just, I've got two facts about J.R. Tolkien that will, that will highlight how much effort he put into his world building. Uh-huh. Um, Mordor and the Orcs was based on his experiences because he was a soldier in uh, World War I and he oh. fought at the Battle of the Somme. And if you think about, especially the way uh, Peter Jackson brought it to life, 
I'm being really serious this episode, aren't I? I'm I like not, it. I like doing, serious, Brian. I'm not doing rubbish knob gags. It's um, it's almost like um, tutorial at university. Brian double crossing his legs. Yeah. Serious, Brian. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and if you look at the the pictures of Mordor and all that, it's, yeah. you could imagine it's just like the trenches in World War One. There's no there's no trees. There's constant artillery gunfire. So that's and it's I like think, sucking up all the yeah, life. I think that film that Nicholas Nicholas, what you talk about, Nicholas was yeah. was in. Uh, sort of thought about like. Gave the background to that. That's I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good fact. So why... Mordor was the battlefields of World War One. Exactly, and that's what makes a good world somewhere something that's based in something that you can conceive in reality. And also, if you've done a crime, that's a good thing as well. Put a bit of truth in there. Yeah. When yeah. you're talking to the police, but also make up the lie. Yeah, I was watching uh, Netflix on my own from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Yeah. last night, and the reason why I know it was 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. because the the alarm went off in the kitchen for yeah. my for my for, oh, I've lost my and no, I cut my hand now. on the bread knife. Am I allowed to critique your oh, facts? Whoa! Here we go. Here yes, we go. do it. Well, okay. For anyone that knows even a grain of oh. <laughs> of knowledge, Not just a critique <laughs> about Lord of the Rings knows it is an allegory for war of World War One. So you're saying what his fact was? Yeah, so you're that. just saying that it, is a given. Yeah. yeah. What about people that haven't read it like me? Well, it what. Yeah, listen. Everything's it's just like, why would you bother doing it? That's a good point, Eloise. Everything's an allegory for war, isn't it? Everything's but, but it's like everyone knows he wrote that about his experience. That not was. everybody. If you're Get in a touch, fan, podcast at zatu.co.uk, whether or not you well, they, knew that it was about those people, then yeah, won't specifically care that you've done war. any any uh, facts about. Lord of the Rings because they don't care about Lord of the Rings if they don't know that fact. So you're saying why on earth have you bothered with us? Exactly. With this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to fact two. Oh then. yeah. Well, let's <laughs> see. Louise thinks of that. I'll be honest. I feel attacked. Uh, and again, showing the depth that he put into his world building. Now we know that Elvish is a made-up language that he invented specially for the books. He was an actual language expert. So like Klingon, they just made it up and then they retroactively made it into a language. Right. You know, when people say, "Oh yeah, you can speak Klingon," you can't really. Right. Elvish is a proper language with grammar, with constructs, with all the normal stuff you get from a language because he was an expert at languages. So that's amazing that he actually made up a whole language for Lord of the Rings. Imagine this is an ice skating tournament in Sarajevo. Brian has just finished this particular piece. Eloise, you go there with the scores. I I think people know that it's a language. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, but I added added a flourish to it. So I may have done a a triple 360, but I've added a flourish, and it's the flourish that gets you the points. Please give Brian a TripAdvisor rating out of five stars for today's, or this week's, Fact of the Week. Um, Five out of ten, and that's because that. if you Half. don't know anything about Lord of the Rings, you may find that vaguely interesting, but otherwise it's old news. Oof. Oof. <laughs> there you go. That's his fact of the week. He's going to have to up his game for next week. It's an honour to welcome to the Board Game Thing podcast game designer Matthew Dawkins. Matthew, good to have you on the show. It's lovely to be here, Andy. Lovely. Well, we've been talking in this episode about world building, so... Just, just kind of fill everyone in in terms of what your what your day job is in the games industry. Okay, so I'm a freelance writer and developer of tabletop role-playing games. And my job varies from creating new worlds and developing books with teams of writers. So we will essentially outline a book, assign writers to different chapters, get that book created, published, sent out to customers who will hopefully be very happy with it. So, so uh, one of your games that we, we played fairly recently amongst my group of friends, in fact, Brian as well from the podcast, is uh, they came from Beneath the Sea, which we absolutely loved. Uh, and that's just, uh, uh, let's talk about that for a second. That That is a game where you, it's a role-playing game. You um, basically 
star in your own B movie to do with uh, you know those those classic B movies that you've seen in the fifties with uh, dodgy special effects and so on. And how, what's it like creating a world? Uh, you know, creating something like that. Where do we even begin? Well, yeah, that was the first role playing game I have developed all the way from I guess concepts through to publication. Every other game I had worked on on that point was someone else's brand, and this was a game that I came up with. I sold the idea to Onyx Path, and then as part of my contract with them, could still work on it and take freelancer payment because I'm not stupid. Uh, and uh, <laughs> they came from actually went through a number of iterations because when I first started working on it, it was very strongly influenced by video games like XCOM. And I thought, well, I want to play. I want to write a role playing game where you are special special army soldiers taking on aliens at the bottom of the sea. And I playtested it at the UK Games Expo and a couple other games conventions in the UK. And it just felt a bit too dry. It wasn't captivating and wasn't interesting. So I went back to the drawing board. And that idea of using a quip in a game started making me think of, okay, well, if I think of my Aliens from the Deep uh, game, that's very much a B-movie, and characters in that have deliver very wooden one-liners, and so much as they ended up doing in action movies with uh, Arn, Arnie and so on. And you kind of remember the movies for that. And I thought, well, no game really does this where you have to sort of... Everything stops, you deliver your line, and it strengthens you, no matter how incongruous that line might be. And compared with that, I was running a role-playing game called DC Heroes, based on DC Comics. And I added a mechanic to that where you could use the 1960s Batman... Uh, sort of zap, pow, sound effects. I'd printed them all out and you could slam them on the table when you threw a punch. Yeah. And again, it <laughs> increased your strength or what have you. And that uh, made me think of, okay, well, what cinematic powers could you introduce into a game like They Came From Beneath the Sea, what it became? Uh, so that's why in that game you can insert things like deleted scenes, missing reels where you just cut to black and appear somewhere else, where you can insert cheap sets so you can run straight through the wall to get away from the lobster man and that kind of thing. And so it was through playing different games that the, the idea finally formed fully, and that's the idea I sold, and then it was a case of actually developing the game, getting it written, and getting it published. Uh, do, do you feel like, I mean, we, we've had uh, an issue all the way through, quite a big chunk of doing this podcast has been um, during lockdown with COVID and everything, so it's been really hard, people have had to be really, uh, um, you know, MacGyver-like to try and work out ways to play board games. Something that was really refreshing, actually, just doing a role, an RPG on Zoom was that you don't need loads of stuff. Literally, no. you don't need loads of stuff at all. I just took a few photos of the cards that the players had for the, you know, obviously the deleted scenes and all that kind of thing with They Came From Beneath the Sea. But the, do you feel that maybe role-playing games have thrived uh, even more during this, this time where gamers are having a look at different things to try and connect, you know, in different ways because you can't play face-to-face at the moment? Uh, absolutely, yes. Role-playing games have done a fantastic business if they've been available in PDF or print-on-demand. So there's a website, drivethroughrpg.com, that sells a lot of games in that way. Uh, The role-playing games that have done less well are the ones that rely on retail outlets to sell their product because a lot of those stores have been shut because they've been non-essential. Now, 
in in the main, it seems RPGs have done pretty well with platforms like Roll20, Astral Tabletop, other virtual tabletop things, or just running games over Discord, Google, Zoom, because as you, it's all theatre of the mind, a lot of it. If your game doesn't rely heavily on something like miniatures and maps, you can just talk to each other in character, and that's how I've been role-playing for the last year and a half of uh, varying phases of lockdown. Yep. Board games, on the other hand, have done poorly, as far as I know. Uh, a lot of that is due to the fact that people can't gather around a table to play them. Certainly some of them made the leap into, I was about to say cyberspace, I think that dates me somewhat, but on platforms <laughs> like Roll20 where there is a virtual version of a board game and you can play it with friends, but it doesn't necessarily have the same kinesthetic appeal as actually standing around a table, manipulating miniatures, doing whatever the game requires of you. Plus... Uh, a lot of board games these days, especially the big budget ones, are kick-started, they're crowdfunded, and yeah. often the trend is you get your kick-started game, you play it for a good two months or so, then it goes on the shelf. And people have been receiving all of the things they kick-started three years ago, because it usually takes about a year and a half for a board game to hit fulfillment, and they've just been having to sit on them for a year and a half. Uh, yep. They haven't been able to play them with anybody. And so if you're on various Facebook groups and the like that sell board games, you're seeing people getting through tons of products. They're just selling them all off because so many new things have been arriving that they can't play with, and it's quite sad. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I'm very, last week, when at time of recording, when we were first allowed to start mingling households again and playing with people and that kind of thing, uh, I got to meet my regular gaming group somewhere other than online and play a board game yeah. with them, and it was just so refreshing to do to to do that. What did and you play? What did you guys play? Uh, it's called. In fact, I've got it beside me. It's it. It isn't a particularly happy-sounding game, considering the COVID <laughs> crisis we've been in. It was called Holding On, uh, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. You play palliative care nurses <laughs> as Billy Kerr <laughs> is dying, and oh it is your job to balance his medical care, which, of course, he needs, with uh, providing palliative care to find out why his life is so troubled and work out the mystery of why he's there and what his life has entailed. Um, so it's a bit of a mystery game. But uh, I, we all enjoyed it, despite the subject matter. It was just nice to have that table banter and be able to play games yeah. again. Fantastic. And so, uh, Matthew, what's what's on the horizon for you? I know. I mean, I, I looked at your resume on, on your website, and, and you've done you, your amount of work. Your body of work is unbelievable. What, what what's the next thing that uh, you're working on at the moment that people can look out for? Uh, so, uh, well, I'm uh, running lots of games at Onyx Path Con, which is a virtual gaming convention. Uh, via our company Onyx Path Publishing, and there is going to be another They Came From game announced at that convention. Uh, what's more, They Came From Beyond the Grave, which is the Hammer Horror, Amicus style They Came From, 
is I think the pre-orders for that will be closing off soon. You can find it just by typing in They Came From Beyond the Grave backer kit, uh, which is how you can pre-order it. And what's more, we already have a source book for that written, which is called They Came From Camp Murder Lake, which (laughs) is our slasher movie, 1980s uh, kind of movie game. Uh, but yeah, we Brilliant. have some. We have more. They came from lots of other games, and you got a yeah. franchise going on there, Matthew. You got a bit of a it, franchise going on here. Yeah, now I wish I hadn't sold the rights to it because <laughs> it's done done surprisingly well. When, but I'm when, is, when is the 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 convention? When when will that be? Uh, now you're testing me. Let's see. Uh, so the dates of the convention. Uh, it's running from the 11th of June to the 13th of June. Uh, it will be pretty much a 24-hour job each day, and there's loads of games being run. You can volunteer to run games, volunteer to play games. We've got lots of panels as well that you can attend to find out more about games. So, yeah, lots going on. Amazing. Well, listen, it's an honour to chat to you. Like I say, love playing. They came from beneath the sea, but it sounds like there's so many other different ways, particularly being a big Hammer Horror fan myself. Uh, they came oh, from, good. what's it called, beneath... From beyond, beyond the grave, the grave. Uh, and believe me, we are running out of places you can come from. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh- I'm sure you'll find them. <laughs> well, listen, uh, Matthew Dawkins. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. All the best. So, big thank you to Matthew Dawkins, top man. And uh, like I say, we've played uh, They Came From Beneath the Sea, fantastic role-playing game about um, create a B-movie with your friends and also uh, Vampire the Masquerade needs no introduction. It is amazing. It is huge and it creates uh, an amazing world. Right, let's go to the pitch where you guys get to put to us a board game idea that you've come up with that you never know could be the board game of the future. This has been sent in by... Erlinger, whose name sounds like he could be, actually be in Tolkien's yeah. Middle Earth. Listen to this team. Here we go. Hi, board game thing. I'm Erlinger from Somerset, and here's my idea for a board game Snakes and Battleships. A double snakes and ladders board with a battleship divider in the middle. Your piece is on the board the other player sees. Instead of dice, you choose a number between one and six. The other player moves your piece and tells you if you land on a snake or a ladder. But they don't tell you how far you rise if you get a ladder or fall if you get a snake. Only when you make it to the finish. So it's snakes and ladders plus anxiety, basically. It's a surefire hit. That's fantastic. So he's taken snakes and ladders and the anxiety of battleships where you don't quite know where your opponent's pieces are and smash them together. I love that game. It's a, it's a good little combination. Very rarely do you get, like, mashups of stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the two things combined. So, yeah, may, maybe Snakes and Ladders and Battleships would work. I was looking at Battleships the other day, actually. Do you remember the old plastic Battleship, yes, yeah. the electric one that was in the 80s? I'd love to play that again. That was good. The thing about that was they used to, people used to cheat quite a lot, didn't they? Because it's an honour system, isn't it? You go, no, you haven't sunk my Battleship. Oh, that's you, a good point. move your Battleship along a little bit. But at least the electric one makes noise, I think, doesn't it? Ah, does mm-hmm. it? I, I only ever had the manual one. I think I only ever had knockoff ones that you would buy at campsites. But these are those great games from the 80s. Someone got in touch during the week, actually, and you can get in touch at Board Game Thing. Uh, she still had, I can't remember the name, the, the lady now, but she had in her loft a pristine version of Downfall. Do you remember Downfall, the no. board game? The one where you turn the dials and the little... Uh, Little tokens move oh, around. Yeah, I've I've seen you it, said downfall. I thought the 2006 <laughs> Adolf Hitler. The film. final days of Adolf Hitler, <laughs> yeah, no, the board no, game. Fine. That would make a great board game. What's it would make the a great game board with game. the pegs, but you're in control of the other person's pegs. What is that? What, do you know what I mean? Kaplunk. No, that's sticks. 
This is pegs. Well, pegs. We, we, will, we will put that one out there because I don't know what that is. No, Contr- me either. Multicoloured pegs. You know the one where you stick um, big colourful swords into a barrel with a little pirate that's in it? That's Kaplunk, isn't it? No, no that's, that's, it's got a pirate in it. Pop-up pi- pirate. Pop-up pirate. Oh, if you know what that game is that Eloise is talking about, drop us a message at Board Game Thing on yeah. Instagram. Well done to Erlinger there. He's earned the right to be in the next Lord of the Rings uh, book or movie yes. or whatever that's going on. I'll write him I'm in. Just, I'm just trying to... Is Erlinger a beer? Uh, uh, Erd, Erdinger. Erdinger's the beer. He's got a great name. He's got a great name there. And what I like about it, I don't know where he's from, but he's got that thing that, you remember like Jan Molby used to play for Liverpool? So when someone from like Denmark comes over and, and lives up north, they take in the accent. The Scandinavian accents are incredibly, I would call porous. Yes. Very open to, to influence from other nations. God bless Jan Molby as well, work him into a podcast. Pitch as well. Michael as well. Pitch Michael, yeah, they've got this kind of like slightly Mancunian accent thing going on. Uh, Erlinger has just won himself a Zatu dice tray. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Exactly. They Good all point. sound, yeah. Weird. Talk about the lads. Well played with the lads. Uh, no more impressions, no more impressions. Uh, so look, all these games we've been talking about today, particularly the uh, Lord of the Rings games that got Eloise excited that we're going to definitely play soon, mm-hmm. that's on Zatu's website now. Uh, Twilight Imperium, I'm going to get that sent to us. We're going to play an eight-hour version of it uh, with drinks as well, Eloise. Good, good. Watch this space. And like I say, if you have any other questions about anything you want, uh, anything we need to be talking about, get in touch at Board Game Thing. And, if, and also, if you uh, can think of any more Scandinavian football players that have uh, a little <laughs> bit of a regional British accent as well, get in touch, podcast at Zatu. Uh, This has been another episode of Board Game Thing. A big thank you to Matthew Dawkins and we will see you next week. Listener.